This is Carl from Nile. You're listening to the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Chris, you want to jump in? Okay, so I just listened to the track, and um, to be honest, I didn't know your past, like about Nile or anything like that. Bruce just informed me of it. I'm kind of new to metal, so you'll have to forgive me. Um, and I look behind you, and I see amps, and I see guitars, I see metal. But I listen to the track, and I hear like all of this crazy ambient instrumental stuff with world instruments. How how did you kind of decide to do that? And how did you make it happen? Were you using samples? Was it real instrumentation? How did that come about? Um, well, years ago, uh, back like oh three or or so, um, I got my first Bagla massage, which I could go in the next room and bring it in here. One second. Take yeah. one second. Look at all those guitars. <laughs> Just a couple. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Um, yeah, right now I'm working on Nile songs, so everything in my studio is the electric stuff. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, this would be a Glissantar. It's an 11-string fretless, um, made so you can get oud sounds in a guitarist friendly format that's so cool that's, that's one of the things that i play a lot um this is the baglama saz it's a long-necked turkish lute and it's in this dust case for otherwise it's a dust collector <laughs> it refuses to stay in tune oh look at that thing Oh, that's cool. And you can see it's got movable frets, and some of them are microtones, where it's just a quarter tone. It's not a normal half step. Yeah. Um, so you actually have 17 notes to an octave. Oh, wow. Um, the strings are in courses, so the bottom two are an octave apart. Uh, the middle is unison. Well, it would be unison if it were in tune. This does not stay in tune very well. <laughs> it surely doesn't stay in tune when it's inside its case. And these are in, tuned in a fifth, and it's three strings. Oh, cool. Wow. So, yeah, it's quite a unique instrument. The first time I ever saw one of those, I didn't know what it was called, but there was a band from Canada called the Tea Party. And they use that a lot. Yeah, the a Tea lot. Party. Yeah. yeah they uh -huh. use those a lot. Yeah. Do you, you know write the, on you know, the... you know the Tea Party? Not personally. Oh, no. but you know their music. I know their music, though. Oh, that's cool. I don't. I've, I don't meet many people in the U.S. that know the Tea Party. Like, no, actually, Ashmetti from Melakesh turned them on. Uh, turned me on to them. Oh, really? Yeah, I was like, dude, you got to hear this band. Yeah, Ashmetti. That's mm -hmm. great. Do you find yourself writing on those kind of instruments, or is, does that stuff come in later? You write on the guitar, which is your, I guess, your main instrument, and then add those sort of. Usually, yeah, a song will start on the guitar. Um, cause that's what's in my hands every day. Um, and then I'll go, well, you know what? This would be pretty cool as a Saz riff or as a Glissantar riff because there's two widely different things. Um, 
so yeah, a lot of them just start on the guitar. That's really the basis of all the songs on this record. It, it starts <laughs> with my hands. Right. Yeah. And everything else is just you know, bringing that uh, life and context. Are you writing the story? Because I know this is the third part in, uh, I guess, the, the series. Two-part question. Are you writing the story first and then adjusting the music to it? Or how does that work? And second, is there going to be more to this or is this a trilogy? Um, when I'm writing it, the ideas all sort of come at once and each side feeds its other feeds each other. That was a tongue twister. Wow. <laughs> okay, so like if I'm playing the guitar and I'm like, you know, thinking about it and I'm like seeing the movie in my head, right? That story in the guitar, they they kind of simultaneously evolve. And one will pull then then the other will pull and it just sort of all happens. Um, which is why how I came up with the idea of the book uh, that goes along with the record uh, was because it was more than lyrics. It was like way more. Right. right? Couldn't possibly fit all this stuff into a lyric format for songs. So it's like, this is a book. It's a fucking book. <laughs> so, yeah, I've done two full drafts. It's uh, right about 45,000 words. Wow. Um, I'll probably finish it up, do a third draft. Uh, whenever I finish this next new Nile record, is 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 writing books something that you've always done? Have you done it before, or is it something that just hit you and you're like, I'm going to do this? The second, because yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm not a writer, so because I'm not a writer, this is like the first thing that I've really written, other than you know doing interviews or liner notes or whatever. I don't act. I don't actually know what I'm doing. I, I pretty much know how to write songs, play the guitar, <laughs> make metal records, go on tour, manage to come home with a few dollars. <laughs> These are skills that I've honed <laughs> over my metal career, right? But writing, that's a whole other thing. And I'm a complete beginner. And when you're just learning how to do something, it it's not like Stephen King sitting down. Oh yeah, finish right. the book in a couple of weeks. Pow. Uh, no, right? Because I'll write something and I go, "This is fucking awful." <laughs> right? It's fucking awful. Right? There, you can have a story, but being able to tell that story in a way that somebody gives a fuck about reading—that's a whole fucking art. No wonder these fucking authors get paid big bucks. It's right. not as easy as it looks. You can say the words, yeah, I'm going to write a book. Right? Mm. It's one little sentence. I'm going to write a book. Six words. I'm going to write a book. Easy to say. <laughs> That's not necessarily a guarantee that it's going to make for something easy to read. Yeah, I you feel know? Like a lot of people say that, oh, I'm going to write my book or I'm going to write a book. And But you're right, when you get down to it, I mean, the discipline it takes probably... And it's a whole nother art form to learn as well, right? If you have no background in it. Oh, it's crazy. I took a creative writing class and the teacher would always talk about like, if you want the story to move faster, you have to use smaller words. And if you want to slow the reader down, mm -hmm. you have to expand your vocabulary. And she would always you know, drive I'm gonna make that, a go to that 
<laughs> Let me get my pen and paper and make a note of that. <laughs> she would always say that. And I didn't really get it at the time. I was just like, well, you just read at a speed, like, you know, and then I started like you brought up Stephen King. And when you read his books, he speeds you up by using like these tiny words and then he slows you down and starts to bore you intentionally. You know, it's interesting. I don't know. I'm going to I'm going to look at that. I'm going to look at a few books and look at the pacing and and examine how that works. I've never okay. thought about that. I Thank have a one more one more question about book writing here and I know that's kind of not why we're here, but do you have the when you're writing, do you already have the whole scenario in your head or does it morph as you go along and kind of write in your head as you're moving? Does that make sense? It does make sense. Um usually there's like enough like in my head to fire me and get me going but like as i'm the ideas keep coming right and one thing will lead to another and so you don't necessarily have to know exactly the whole thing when you start you just gotta have enough to get going right. which is kind of like um when you're improvising and playing guitar solos right especially in blues jazz idioms you don't necessarily have to have the whole entire thing planned it morphs and finds new paths all by itself and that's part of the joy of creative discovery it's wow we're alive right. anything could happen it seems like creativity is like a massive part of your life i, I mean <laughs> i know that sounds like a dumb <laughs> statement i know that sounds like a stupid statement but we interview a lot of musicians and they talk about like the recording of their record or they talk about how they co-authored a book with someone and they they talk about kind of like mundane things but you are kind of deeper into the creative process than most people we interview like like you're very aware um, of your creative process well you know i like procreating to start with right so i already like it right the fact you can just make stuff come into existence and you don't necessarily have to plan it it can just happen yeah right it takes on a life of <laughs> its own probably you get a lot of the way yeah i think life on earth developed this way i you know i i don't think you know there was a big plan to start with i I think shit just happened and a lot of random possibilities are possible along the way. It could have diverged, you know, any number of places and it probably did because where we started from and where we are is not a straight line. Yeah, definitely. It's not a straight line. You can look backwards and trace the evolution, you know, but yeah. when the first... Yeah you know one celled creatures you know started doing whatever they were doing at the bottom of the ocean while nobody was looking <laughs> they didn't have a big plan they were just doing it yeah you know, and i like that i really like you don't have to necessarily plan it all out i mean a lot of shit that we do as a band or musicians you got a plan you gotta you gotta have a plan that gets you started but if you can adapt 
when you need to, it's possible to go places you never conceived of when you first started. Um, and you got to do that. You know what? Nile, if I look back at the history of Nile, this is not at all how I envisioned it happening. Really? <laughs> not at all. There were plenty of times we had to go, okay, we either got to adapt or die. One or the other. I choose adapt. Right? right. And adapting, wow, that means you just open the door to, okay, there's probably several possible ways to go forward. You know you can't do this thing anymore, so you got to do something else. Interesting. Yeah. It's it's very interesting. I love I love the fact that you're not shy to talk about the creative process, you know? And that's that like as a creative person myself, I find it very refreshing because I talk about creativity in this way too a lot. And people are often like, Oh mm -hmm. God, you know, like why are you getting so deep on me? You just pick up a guitar and you play it and it happens, whatever. But which is true on the surface, but when you get really on the surface. Yeah. But when you really get into it, there's so many emotions and, like you say, it pushes and it pulls you and it tugs you and, yeah. So you got to be ready to to be Ginger Rogers, right? If Fred Astaire starts putting some new dance moves, you either you know follow along, <laughs> be willing to change the plan, or martial arts. I did martial arts for many years. Right? And there's a, a very old saying that everybody's got a fucking plan until they get punched in the face. Or, said another way, um, no battle plan survives contact with the enemy. So, right, you have to be willing to go, okay, this plan or this technique is no longer working. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's time to invent a new way of looking at it, come up with a new idea, adapt some other technique to the situation, and that's why fighting is so much fun. It, because there's constant creativity to it. I see so many parallels, you know, between playing music and martial arts. Um, I mean, if you're actually engaging in like real sparring or actual fighting then you have to do this if you're just running kata which is a preordained set of moves that's you know you do this one you do this one you do this one and you're judged on how well you followed the uh line yeah the plan of techniques right but if you're actually sparring you have to adapt and be willing to recognize what's working what's not working where's your opponent's strengths are where their weaknesses are when they make a tactical error to be adaptable enough to see it adjust and capitalize yeah sometimes i think when you're writing a song sometimes it's like that like you see this little opening right that opened up somehow it's just a little crack and if you pivot and strike in the right place now that becomes a fucking opportunity to come in 
and capitalize on this opening that may not have been there two seconds ago. Right? It's a creativity, fighting. There's so many parallels. Hmm. So I have a question for you, and it's about the creative process again. Are you one of those creatives, like uh, most people I know, where you almost have like a creative ADD? You, you, there's so many things. And if so, how do you narrow them down to, you know, what you're going to work on today? Because I know my list is like a mile long of things that I really want. I want to write my book. I want to, you know, work on the podcast. I want to do this, that, or the other thing. There's too many of them. I can't even keep track anymore. I have a warboard on the other side of this door is a giant dry erase warboard. And I got two of them. <laughs> uh, and that's, that's a, where I prioritize the things that I want to work on and I can fucking see it. And it really helps with finding some clarity about, Oh, this is what I should work on today. Right. Um, also, uh, uh, one second. I'll show you. I get a visual aid. No, I'm good. Even when I'm just playing guitar, whatever song that I'm working on, right, I'm always ready. Always ready. If I'm playing guitar and I got my lyrics right next to me, like I'll go, you know what, this idea right here, that's the pre-chorus. This thing over here, I know that would make my good uh, re-kick before the hook. And this thing, well, that's fast, right? This other thing, that's slow. And before you know it, I got pencil marks all over this thing. All those little random thoughts that I would have went, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. They're here. So the creativity never just wanders away. It's always a little bit active. Yeah. But it's hard yeah. to keep it straight sometimes. Mm -hmm. The little micro ideas... You know, you can't keep them straight, especially the older you get. There's other shit that life demands you take care of. Um, like if your parent, oh, geez. Yeah. So taking little notes really, really fucking helps. Warboard, the notes, um, and turning off your social media. Yes. Turn off your social media. You know, it'll <laughs> wait. There's nothing Whatever more distracting. It is that you're, yeah, it'll wait. Like that, you know, comment that somebody made, it'll be there, you know, tomorrow. Right. It'll be there later tonight. Right. It's not as important as that fleeting moment of creative inspiration that. If you're constantly being distracted by your notifications, you know, it, it'll win. Your, your social media with your friend will win out over your genius idea all day long. That's the way it works. Right. Because yeah. they want you to pay attention to your social media device. 
they. I'm talking about they again. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> <nurse. laughs> I'm, I'm just saying that we as humans have a lot of weaknesses. And this is one that gets exploited and taken advantage of a lot. Some people don't mind. But if you're trying to do something creative, you don't want your brain constantly binged or pinged. Yeah, you don't yeah. want your brain constantly pinged by somebody else when you're trying to receive inspiration from the metal gods. Right. Ooh, sounds like I'm one of those guys. <laughs> hey, man. Metal gods. I, hey, I, I praise the metal, metal gods, gods daily. <laughs> well, well, good. I do, too. I don't know if there actually are any. It's just my, my way of somehow codifying the concept of the larger spirit that seems to give metal folks inspiration and connection metal gods right and a sort mm -hmm. of connection and something unlike we talk about it a lot on the show something you don't see in pop or country this like global metal family for lack of a better word well this is actually what got me into metal was i went on seventy thousand tons of metal in 2011 as I was dressed like a golf pro. I'm not going to lie. I didn't know anybody that... Do you play golf? I, I love golf. Love golf. Okay. Golf, golf. I see golf as a very creative sport. It's extremely creative, like fighting. Like. The uh, singer that sings on the all the soaring records, Mike Brazil, is a fantastic golfer. Um, man, is that guy good. He... Hmm. Plays at the Masters every year in Augusta. Wow! Oh, wow! He's yeah. He's the kind of guy that just lives on the golf course every day. Yeah, it's playing. I, I often think um, if you want to get to know somebody, take them golfing, because you might you'll mm -hmm. you'll get to know them more in that three to four or five hours than you'll ever get to know them. You could spend all day with them every day, and you won't learn as much about them as you do if you play golf with them once. Interesting. You know, that's a lot like the thing in the Matrix movie when the guy goes, you will never know someone as well as when you fight them. It's the same principle, yeah. I believe. You will get to know them in ways you could never possibly understand unless you put them in that context. Yeah. It's a contest of actuality, right? You're, because you're doing things. You're not just talking about things doing things yeah and with golf you if you if you hit a bad shot right how do you deal with it do you do you get mad do you throw <laughs> your clubs what do you do right how do you recover from it if you have a bad hole mm -hmm. does it ruin your day do you ruin mm -hmm. everyone else's day around you like there's so many things like i often mm -hmm. say golf mimics life right because like when i play golf if i hit a bad shot i might yell out fuck and then I'll be like, okay, I got to fix the next shot I have to fix and see how I'm going to get through it. But you'll play with some people and it's just like a full meltdown. And, and it ruins everyone's day around you, like completely. So that's why I like golfing. But anyway, so I go on 70,000 times of metal like this. And I was expecting to be like hated because I was just such an outsider. But what ended up happening was... I met a family I didn't even know existed. Mm -hmm. I ended up 
partying with bands. I made friends with bands because they were like, what are you doing? You're wearing golf clothes. I was like, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I don't even know metal. You know, like I'm, I'm just here to support my friends who are running this thing. So I want to be on it, you know, and support them. And they're like, oh, you, you know these guys? It's like, yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh, okay. And then next thing I know, we're drinking beers and I'm partying with the bands and I'm like dressed in golf clothes. And I had, I made so many lifelong friends on that boat, including Bruce. Yeah, that's where we met. Nice. Yeah. 2011. The metal is a community. It's a very open community uh, from what I've seen yes. in my short lifetime. People will welcome you into that community with open arms and accept you for whoever and whatever you are because you enjoy the same music yeah you're probably okay <laughs> and it's it's true I, we've been all over the world and there's a something about metal that unites people even if they can't barely even speak the same language we still have something in common. Yeah, it's the riff, right? The riff it's is the, the connector. Riff. Yeah. It's the metal. The metal heart. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So are you planning on taking uh, this out on the road, this project, or is that not a thing? I don't think so. I, I think I'm busy enough touring with Niall. Um, if I were really going to do this project right in a live contest context, sorry it would take a much larger budget you would need like hans zimmer kind of budget to right. really do this right and you know what i don't have hans zimmer's budget i got my budget <laughs> right which is like you know it's a death metal side project budget it's not even a proper metal budget it's like a metal side project budget which is yeah I could see this lending itself you know, towards like a Broadway thing almost, or maybe not Broadway, but a theater thing for sure. Yes. Yes. Um, but I see what you're saying about, you know, expenses and, and, and that sort of thing as well. It's not financially <laughs> right. viable. No, I, I could crazy. see it. I could not actually see it being economically easy. viable. You guys know the movie Falling Down? Yeah. Did you guys ever see that movie, Michael Douglas Falling Down? There's this one guy protesting outside the bank about not being economically viable, right? I always loved that scene. Yeah. It's not yeah. economically viable. I actually could see this this music getting a lot in, in films and, and, mm -hmm. and getting licensing for with film work, you know, honestly. That, I that, love film like, soundtracks. As yeah. soon as I as soon as I heard it, I was like, "Wow, this is great! This this belongs in a movie somewhere," you know. That's that was my thought. So we're putting that out in the universe. Well, it's, it's a good thought, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, Carl, somebody just... asked me recently, uh, "Hey, Carl, what would be the best movie for you to do a soundtrack for?" I was like. The best movie is one where they actually fucking pay me. That's the best movie. <laughs> right. Nice. <laughs> where they actually pay me. <laughs> but you're, you're done with those $1 film deals? 
uh, yeah, yeah, or or video game. Uh, uh, you know, sometimes when you do music for a video game, that's no guarantee the video game's ever coming out. Right. So I've done music for a couple of failed video games. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So you know, that's like you know that maybe wasn't the best use of my time. Yeah. But I yeah, guess we don't you, know until it's done, right? Especially yeah. when you're hoping for the mechanicals from it, and then it doesn't happen. Like the whole right was because the they will lowball you, right? On a prospective music uh, job like that, they lowball you because you know we'll give you something on the back end. Uh, we'll give you a nice rate, uh, but you know, get paid up front. Yeah. <laughs> That's my advice <laughs> from my experience. Don't do stuff on prospectus. Get paid. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've, I've audio engineered that when I first started recording and becoming an audio engineer. My, my mentor told me he's like, "You're going to meet a lot of people that will work on a on like a total budget." He's like, "You know, never do that. Always work by the hour." He's like, "If you want to give them mm -hmm. a budget for the whole record, you can, but you have to set the time limits, start and finish." And anything past that is hourly. And that was like a really important lesson to learn because I didn't take that advice at first and it really bit me in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> and then you saw why that advice was so relevant. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because so, a, a song yeah. is never done, right? It's never done until you run out of time, money, or both. That's it. Um, I put like an artificial deadline on when I was working on this soaring off apocalypse because I knew exactly that like I would just keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going so I was like all right it's got to be done by November because that's when the guy's got time to mix it master it and you get it by, de by then were you successful in doing that did you stay to it I was that's good, mm -hmm. good. yeah nice so it forces you to make actual decisions like yes this is good no, that is not good. Right. And like, make the decision, right? If you can make a few decisions, you can get on with life. <laughs> yeah. Well, in the digital realm, it's so hard to commit, right? Like when yes. when you used to work on tape, you had to make decisions while you were recording because you only had so yes. many compressors, you only had so many of this, right? So while you tracked, you had to make that decision and commit. Mm -hmm. But in the digital world, you could just sit there for hours and be like, hmm. And you're like, dude, the kick drum's now out of tune and we haven't even hit the <laughs> snare yet. You know, like, know. <laughs> let's make a decision right? here. Let's make decisions. Yeah. You got to make decisions. Otherwise, you're paralyzed. You get nowhere. So I don't mean to interrupt. I've got my Zoom uh, reminder. We've only got about five minutes left on the on the free timer. So. Oh, uh, what time is my next one? Oh, my next one's at four. So I'm already oh, you're already late. Well, that's oh, good yeah. though. You must have had fun talking to us if you stayed this long. So I appreciate your time. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you, boys. Thank, thank you, you, man. So much. Thanks again yeah, for the tunes as well, man, and branching out into something crazy, and also knowing about the great Canadian band, the Tea Party. Tea Party. Thank you, Ashmedi. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, my friend. Good luck with the uh, awesome everything you got coming up, and I will talk to you soon. All right. Take Be care, safe. Bruce. Hey, we'll see you soon. Sure. Cheers, man. See you later, Bye. man. Thanks. Bye. Bye.
I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts.